not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Well, let us pray and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, we do pray today that you would fill our hearts. I pray for the, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit personally. I pray, Lord, you'd help me as I, as I speak today. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you'd give clarity to my thoughts and accuracy to my words. Help me, Lord, to say things I ought to and not say anything I ought not. I just pray for that today, the filling of the Spirit. And I pray for the same for all of us. Lord, would you help us to hear? And would you help us to apply and take this to heart? And I pray, Lord God, that you would just speak to us today. Uh, and not just, not just speak to us intellectually, Lord, but speak to our hearts and stir us up and help us to see, Father, the personal responsibility that we bear. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, 18 teenage girls in Massachusetts banded together, and you may remember the story. They banded together in what they called a pregnancy pact. They agreed to all get pregnant and then work together to raise the babies. Fast forward a few years, and one of the great heroes from my childhood, who has adorned many a Wheaties box, decided that he no longer wants to be a man. Fast forward still a few more years to today. And we as a nation are now so confused morally that we cannot figure out what restroom we are supposed to go into. And when anyone tries to take a stand and say men ought to go into men's rooms and ladies ought to go into ladies' rooms, the Twitterverse and the Facebook universe lights up with a ridiculous war of words and shames them into acquiescing to their insanity. How in the world, how in the world have we come to this place? Is there any hope for America? And can you and I make any kind of difference in a world like this? I guess that's the real question. Can we make any difference? You know, it's very easy to be pessimistic as we read the news. However, for the believer, for the person who believes the Bible... There is always hope. And that hope is uh, how we can make a difference. You know, I, I can't physically do a whole lot for the fact that the world is filled with poor and that there are poor people in the world. I can do something. Uh, we, we, we do do some things here as a church. We do what we can. I mean, we support food shelves and go to the haven of rest and things like that. But the fact is, at the end of the day, when you've done all that you can do, as Jesus said, the poor will be with you always. I, I, I can't do a whole lot about that. I can't help the fact that there are people who die around me all the time of various illnesses and problems. Death is a reality of life I can't do a thing about. I've preached many a funeral. And that's one of the thoughts that I always think. No matter how far we come as human race, we die. 
It is a point another man wants to die. I can't stop the violence and the crime that saturates our cities. Some years ago, you may remember, there was a man in California who stomped and kicked his two-year-old son to death along the highway while a whole bunch of people stood and watched. The only thing that stopped him was a bullet from a policeman. I can't stop the insanity that fills the minds of our leaders that says it's okay to burn our flag, but not to display our Bible. It's okay to kill our babies, but not our wildlife. Or can I? Or can I? You know, God has given me the greatest news, and God has given you the greatest news that exists that has ever been proclaimed to mankind, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10:13. That is the greatest news that has ever been. It ought to be circled in every Bible. It ought to be burned on your brain and on your heart in letters of fire. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, whosoever, whosoever. That includes the seemingly hopeless poor. That includes the seemingly helpless sick, the seemingly unreachable criminal mind, and the seemingly insane philosophers of our day. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The hope for America is not to be found in her politicians or her political parties, not the Constitution, not the courts, not secular education, which is held up as a panacea by some. No, the hope for America is and always has been the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in our scriptures today, gives us an example of a life dedicated to proclaiming that gospel. He is describing this, this, in, in this text, he's describing it kind of as a defense, a defense of his ministry, because he oftentimes was under attack by those who would discredit him. And so that's kind of how he's ordered this. But in this passage, he, he kind of talks about three things about how he has uh, lived trying to proclaim the gospel. He spoke of his message, he spoke of his motives and his methods. And I want to kind of follow that outline this morning. His message, his motives, and his method. So first of all, let's talk about the message. The message, and of course we've already hinted at what it is, but let's clarify and make sure we're real clear about what it's not. What it's not. There's a lot of things that are preached from pulpits. There's a lot of things that Christians espouse today. There's a lot of things that you'll hear on talk radio from people who claim to be Christians, which are not our focus. They're not our message. For example, our message is not political activism. Sorry, Glenn Beck. It's not. Our message is not environmentalism. Sorry, Al Gore. Stephen Hawking might be smart at some things. That's not our message. Our message is not socialism. Sorry, Bernie and Hillary. Our message is not education, or any of the man-made, man-based solutions which are touted by so many today. Jesus said one time to a man, he said, follow me. And the man said to him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9. Now, he, he, we could probably talk a lot of, about a lot of things from that verse, but whatever else he meant, one thing comes through loud and clear to me. As Christians, some things are simply not our focus. Some things are simply not what we should be concerned with, at least as our focus. Now, all the things that I mentioned are good things and maybe are things that we should be a little bit involved in. But they're not our message. They're not our focus. Some years ago, there was a chaplain at the institution where I work. And this preacher, and I always have to put that word in quotes, because if you knew the man, you'd understand. 
But this preacher, he would preach often about things like sustainable energy, and he would preach about buying heifers for the heifer project, and he would preach about windmills and other environmental issues. But I knew him for two years, and in two years, I listened. I was waiting for it. In two years, I never heard him one time mention the name of Jesus Christ. And this was a man who claimed to be a preacher of the gospel. So, if that's not our message, what is? Well, Paul makes it very clear here in verse number 2, in verse number 4, in verse number 8, in verse number 9. Our message is the gospel of God. It's the gospel. That's our focus. That's what we ought to be proclaiming. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he explained it even more fully. He said exactly what it is. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, by which also you are saved. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen. That is the gospel. That's our message. That's our focus. That's the hope for America and for everyone. We might paraphrase Paul's words there. Something like this, I brought you what I received. It's something very important that Christ died for our sins just as the Bible said He would. That He was buried and He rose on the third day just as the Bible said He would. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's our message. So there's some things we need to remember, and Paul reminds us of some things here as we think about that message. For example, in verse number 2, he reminds us that it takes courage to proclaim it. It's an easy thing to go along with the crowd. It's an easy thing, and I think that's why a lot of folks do get off track on this stuff. It's just to say, someone to put up with the fight. Christianity's not for wimps, you know. It's not. David Livingston was a missionary in Africa years ago. And one day a man wrote to him a letter. And he says, you know what, Dr. Livingston, I believe God has called me to come and help you. And I want to come serve with you. Are there any good roads to where you are? And Dr. Livingston wrote back to him and said, don't bother coming. He said, I am not the slightest bit interested in people who will come if there are good roads. I'm looking for men who will come if there are no roads at all. And see, that's Christianity. Do you want to make a difference in your world? Do you really want to help people? It's not going to be easy. It's going to take courage. And standing for the gospel takes courage. Reader's Digest used to be, I don't know, is, is, is there even still a Reader's Digest anymore? I haven't seen one in years. Reader's Digest, they, they used to have things in there that would, uh, you know, have all these encouraging stories about heroes. I don't know if it's still there or not. My grandmother used to get me Reader's Digest, but she's gone on with the Lord. I haven't had one since. But, you know, they would remind us in those stories, somebody has to have the courage to step near the burning car and pull the person to safety. And somebody has to be willing to jump into the raging river and grab the drowning child. Somebody has to do it. It takes courage to put yourself at risk and do what is necessary to help somebody else. Maybe that's what Jude was talking about, at least a little bit, in Jude chapter 1, when he said, Of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So we need to remember, if we're going to stand for the gospel, it's going to take courage. We need to remember also that if we're going to stand for the gospel, we need to recognize that it is a stewardship. That's what he says in verse number 4. A stewardship. In other words, it is something that God has entrusted us with. It's something that He has given to us into our keeping to use for Him. He said something similar in Colossians chapter 1 when He said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the affections of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So the gospel, it's, it's a source, it's something he's entrusted to us. 
And we ought to ask ourselves, what, is, what are we going to do with it then? If he's given it to us to use for his glory. Paul goes on, he says, we also need to remember that sharing the message takes work. He talks about that in verse number 9. How do you get good at anything? How do you get good at any discipline? Well, it takes work. We recognize that without question in worldly endeavors, don't we? It takes work to become good at anything. Great things happen when people work hard to become great at them. And the same is true of sharing the gospel. Some will say, I'm just no good at that. Well, of course you aren't. Nobody's good at it when they first start out. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes preparation. And that's why we read our Bibles. And that's why we learn the Bible. That's why we listen to others preach the Bible and teach the Bible. That's why we uh, do all those things, so we can internalize it and share it with others. It's also why we go. It's why we set aside time on the Lord's Day to come on a beautiful sunny day and gather in this building and listen to the preaching and sing the songs and, and learn about Him. It's not optional. It's a required part of our training as we try to learn and understand and be able to share it with others. Well, we can say many things, I suppose, about the message, but if we were just sum it all up, all those things maybe are kind of dancing around the issue, but the message is the gospel of God. Are we clear on that? That is our focus, the message. Paul goes on, let me just share a word about the motives. He says just a little bit here about motives, and I want to mention that because that's important. Some years ago, the Wall Street Journal had this story, and I believe I've shared this story with you before, but uh, bear with me if you've already heard this, but uh, let me just read it. Bobby Dodd. Georgia Tech's athletic director, told of a coach who, with his team leading 7-6 to six in the last minute of play, carefully instructed his quarterback not to pass under any condition. But when the ball was carried within the opponent's 10-yard line, the quarterback was overcome by temptation, and he passed. And the ball was intercepted by the rival's fleetest back, who broke into an open field and raced toward pay dirt. He was speeding past midfield when suddenly, out of nowhere, the quarterback who had passed overtook him and brought him down. After the game, the losing coach remarked to his barely victorious counterpart, I'll never understand how your boy overtook my fastest back. Well, I'll tell you, came the reply, your back was running for touchdown. My boy was running for his life. (laughs) Motivation. We need to ask ourselves about our motivation. If we're going to effectively proclaim the gospel, which is the only hope for America, if we're going to do that, it's the only hope for Randolph, it's the only hope for our homes and our families, it's the only hope for anybody, our marriages, our lives. We need to take stock of our motives. Thomas Akempis said, man sees your actions, but God sees your motives. Paul Vanneman was a pastor and a a professor at the school I used to attend used to teach young men who were preparing for the ministry, and he was fond of reminding them often, men, examine your motives. Motives. Why do we do what we do? And Paul talks about that a little bit in verses 4 through 6. I'm just going to mention it. I'm not going to develop it much, but he gives us some help here as we consider what our motives ought to be. He says in verse number 4, our motive ought not to be pleasing men. We don't share the gospel because we want to please men. Uh, Our motive ought not to be pleasing ourselves in verses 5 through 6. Verse 4, he makes it clear that our motive should always and only be pleasing God. And so our message we share is the gospel. We share it because it's the only hope for anyone. And we share the gospel because doing so pleases God. Last thought. He's mentioned methods. He's mentioned motives, or message motives. Let's look at uh, the last one, which is our methods. Yes, we know that our only hope 
for anyone anywhere is the gospel of Christ. We know that we have been entrusted with it by God and ought to be proclaiming it, and we know that we do it because we want to please God. And you say, that's all well and good, but let's get practical. How? How, how do you do it? Okay, I hear you. How do we do it? Josh has been teaching a class in uh, Sunday school hour uh, that answers this very, very clearly. But I want to just mention a couple of things which are maybe at a higher level than what he's been teaching in there. Because Paul says some things here about his methods. Look at verse number 3, for example. He says his methods involve accuracy and simplicity. I think I see that there. Our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. His methods were accuracy and simplicity. You know, I say it often, and I'll say it again. You know, Christian, you ought to read your Bible. I say it a lot. You should have a Bible. And if you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you, the chair in front of you. I encourage you to take it. Take it home. It's our gift to you. You can have it if you'll read it. You should read it every single day of your life until Jesus comes. You should mark in it. You should take notes in it. You should carry it to church so that you can take notes and uh, then go back and check up on whoever's preaching and see if he's really telling you the truth. You need to know your Bibles. And you might ask, why in the world do you harp on it so much? Well, I harp on it so much because you need to know it yourself before you can be accurate in presenting it to somebody else. Paul talked about accuracy in sharing here. You need to know the gospel, the only message that can help anybody, the only hope for America, if you're going to share it accurately with others. Now, don't get carried away with that thought. That does not mean you have to have a master's in theology in order to proclaim the gospel. That's not true either. On the contrary, you just need to know a little bit. Can you share the Romans road? Four simple verses. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9.10. Actually, that's five verses, isn't it? Can you do that? Sure you can. Say, I can't even memorize that. Well, then write it down on a three-by-five card and stick it in your pocket. Can you do that? Can you write it in a fly life of your Bible? Can you circle it in the pages of your Bible and draw little arrows to it so you know where to go? That's all you really need to know. How about the ABCs of salvation, which we conclude in the bulletin from time to time? It's in there today. I checked. Have you, uh, have you ever looked at that? Wondering what Christianity is all about? Three verses. See, if you, if you just know the bare minimum and you can state it accurately and you can speak to it, then you have all that you need in order to share the gospel. But you do need to know that much. You do need to know what it is. So he talks about accuracy. In verses 5 through 10, he talks about honesty and example. Verse number 5, Neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Verse number 10, You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Another aspect of Paul's method was his honesty and his example. You cannot be dishonest and win people to Christ. You cannot be a fake. You cannot be a hypocrite. Hypocritical Christians are the cause of many refusing to even listen in the first place. They won't even hear because of what they see. I led a man to the Lord one time when I was in attending Kent State University. He and I are best friends. He eventually went on to become the best man in my wedding. He knew me well. He knew me very well. And I remember one time, the time, as I was sharing the gospel with him, uh, we talked in his apartment for hours. I remember it was until 4 o'clock in the morning before he finally trusted Christ. But he knew me, and he kept throwing things up in my face. What about that? 
things we had done together. What about that? And, you know, I had no defense except honesty. I had no defense except transparency. I had to say things like a Christian is not perfect. I am far from perfect. But the blood of Jesus Christ took care of all of that. That was my only defense. Every day I try to be more like Christ. Every day I fall on my face. But I'm trying to live for him. Christians aren't perfect. But in Christ they are forgiven. And it was enough. And he trusted Christ. As far as I know, he's still serving in the day. We've kind of lost touch, but I believe he's still serving the Lord today. You see, you don't have to be perfect to share the gospel. That's a lie the devil whispers in your ear to shut you up. And the next time he does it, you need to tell him to shut up and go right straight back to hell. That's not true. How can you presume to tell anybody about Jesus? You've got sin in your life. You can hear him hissing that in your ear. Yeah, we all have sin in our life. Tell Satan to shut up. Then share the truth. The key is not perfection, but rather that the person needs to be able to see that you are honestly striving to serve God, that you are legitimate, that you are real. There has to be some evidence that, that, that you're living for Christ. If you're the kind of person who is a, as, calls yourself a Christian but has no evidence whatsoever, doesn't want to live at all for the Lord Jesus Christ and lives entirely like the world, then please do shut up. Please do not bring offense to the cause of Christ. But if you're one who is striving, just be honest. The Lord has saved me. The Lord's working on me. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. So honesty, an example. And then in verses 7 and 8 and verse number 11, he talks about his method, including compassion, encouragement. Verse number 7, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Verse number 11, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Compassion. Compassion. Yeah, we have good news to share. It's the only hope for a broken world. It's the only hope for an America that is dying. It's the only hope for your hurting neighbors. It's the only hope for your faltering marriage. It's the only hope for the confused teenager poised to make the biggest decisions and possibly biggest mistakes in life. It's the only hope for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl in this room. It's the only thing that will fix the racial nightmare that is going on in our country. It's the only hope that can offset the evil leadership that drags us further and further from God as a nation. It's the only hope for a people and a nation that are so morally destitute that they murder their own babies and campaign vociferously for the right to do so. It's the only hope for a people that murder their own heroes and champion the murderers. We see the pain. We see the confusion. Do we have any compassion at all for the pain that is around us? One man said, compassion is your pain in my heart. Is that you? We see it. And if we have any compassion in our heart at all, we must share the solution. Because, brothers and sisters, I said a minute ago in the introduction, is there anything we can do? Yes, we can fix it. We have the answer. We have the solution. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they desperately need that which we have. I love the story of the lepers outside of uh, the city walls in Samaria. You've heard me mention it. It's such a great illustration, and you can go and read about it on your own, the Old Testament. Second Kings. 
the lepers who had been uh, sitting outside of the wall because they were lepers. They weren't allowed in the city, and the city was starving. The city thought they were surrounded. The lepers discovered they weren't surrounded. The enemies had left, and there was a feast of food laying all over the ground out there. And they had everything they needed to solve their problems. And they were sitting there gorging themselves on it. And all of a sudden, they looked one at the other, and they said, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. We have the answer. We have the solution. We can fix these things if we will just proclaim the gospel. Can I make a difference in the world today? The answer is absolutely no if you try the world's methods. But the answer is absolutely yes if we faithfully do that which God wants us to do, which is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, may God help us to integrate the sharing of our faith into our lives. Every one of us. The winning of souls. So that we, like Paul, can make a difference to our world. May we preach it with our lips, and may we model it with our lives. May we be so changed by the reality that others cannot help but see it. And may we stop, as believers, wasting our time on things that help no one, and dedicate ourselves to the truth, to the message, to the focus, to the gospel, the good news that is the only hope. And it can help everyone. Well, pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. And we're thankful, Lord, for this, this, this simple thought from, uh, from Paul's example. I pray, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today. I, I know there may be some here today who are sitting here saying, how can I possibly share the gospel when I'm not sure I know the gospel? There may be some here today, Lord, who have never responded to it themselves. Maybe they've heard it said that it can solve every problem and meet every need. Maybe they've heard it said that they can have forgiveness of sin, but they've never yet received it. Lord, if there's even one like that today, I pray they think about it right now. Holy Spirit, get hold of their life. And Father, even these faltering words that were said here today, Lord, I know that you can take them and make them make sense in their heart, and you can help them to understand the gospel. Help them to understand that Jesus died for them. That the death that he paid on that cross, the price he paid on that cross, was their, their price. Their, their, their sin was paid for and they're forgiven. If they'll but call upon the name of the Lord. I pray if there's somebody here who needs to do that. Whether it's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, young or old. It doesn't matter, Lord, if there's somebody here who has never called upon the name of the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be saved. I've never asked you to save me, but I'm asking you right now. Maybe they've come to this church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Lord, nonetheless, if they've never asked Jesus to save them, they're lost. May they see it. May they know it. And may they make that decision today. And then, Lord, I pray also for Christians. For, Lord, I know that the majority of people in the room have called upon the name of the Lord. And so for the believers, I pray. I pray it for myself. Lord, fill us with an understanding that we have the answer. We have the solution to the world's problems. It's been here all along. It's never changed. It's, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It worked in first century Jerusalem, and it works today. It works in every country of the world. It works in America. It works in Europe. It works everywhere. It works in Africa. It works in Australia. It works everywhere. And, Lord, it works in Randolph. Lord, it will work in our homes. And, Lord, it will work in our lives. And so I pray today that we'll recognize it and see it and rededicate ourselves today to be focused to the proclamation of the gospel, whether from our church, from our homes, from our examples, from our lips. May we be ambassadors of the news that is the hope 
for America and everywhere. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we going to say?